0: Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. Hello. And on the phone via DC, uh, we know him as the overlord, John mm. Conniff from Mad Friars.
1: Hey, guys. How are you?
2: Oh, glad to have you on. Thanks for taking the time with us.
0: Dude, is no, fun. thanks for having me on. We have been milking your content since day one. <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate it. First of all, let me just say thank you so much. And you guys do incredible great work um from travis over in fort wayne down to uh travis over in um in and
1: texas marcus marcus, marcus sorry yeah, marcus, marcus Pond. uh
0: just you guys do such incredible
2: work and Kevin charity and david J here in town
0: yeah absolutely
1: and we, we and ben davy
0: and ben yep. davy yes thank you who i met for the yep. first time in spring training he's a cool kid um yep and thank you so much for allowing us to use all the content and we you know hope we've Done something for the readership if if not at least we kept it at a, a at least at sea level
1: no thank you you guys did everything the right way you, you asked us to it you guys are so nice to us on our site so we are really uh it's really nice of you guys to to, to say as many nice words as you do about us and we all appreciate it thank we, you we very tr- much
2: we try to keep the the negative words off the off the recorded part yeah
1: <laughs> yeah all the yeah. other bad
2: stuff just happens off the air
1: we well, we got, David, Jay, we got David J. We got David J. as our editor, so believe me, he makes up for it on his end. So <laughs> he'll help you out there.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, hey, let's. Do, let, so, Hodge has turned out to be kind of a hitter's ballpark. Um, yes. How and you know, couple that with like El Paso. How are the evaluators? How's the organization kind of evaluating talent? Throwing in kind of the ballpark element of of development.
1: Well, we talked a little bit off air uh, about this and kind of uh, the general topics. And one thing I was going to bring up is that, you know, for AAA, A AA, and both the A-levels, there's 30 teams. So the teams can kind of move around where they want to, but in the end, everyone's kind of got every, every AA city is going to have a major league team. So, yeah, Amarillo was not, even though with a new stadium, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. They knew the elevation was going to be there. And that's kind of where the Padres ended up. I mean, there's not, there wasn't some gigantic choice. There there usually there usually isn't. As far as elevation, when he asked Sam Ganey at the beginning of the year, he said, you know, they look at, you know, hitters' parks, they got to deal with in Arizona and Colorado, and they're not really afraid of it. Do I think they may have rather been in a place that's more like Petco? Yeah, but I don't know how many of those places really exist. Right. So... As far as we go about the park, you know, um, San Antonio is a nice city, and it's probably a better town than Amarillo, but Amarillo is a better place for minor league baseball just because you have, you know, the, there's literally nothing else there. It's not a big college t- college town. They were really grateful to get it. And I talked to one of the guys that was on the board, and I was out there, and when they had the vote on the city council, one guy is saying, well, maybe we shouldn't build that that much of a park or give that much to the the, the group that owns San Antonio and a couple other groups. And his response was, hey, guys, we haven't had affiliate baseball since 82. No one really wants to come here. So if it's going to get done now, we have to do this. So they they gave him the stadium, and the stadium is beautiful. Really good ownership group. They they put on a nice show. It's, I think, and as we talked, before i think the padres kind of lucked out they have yeah arguably three of the top 10 minor league ballparks in affiliate baseball in fort wayne el paso and amarillo
0: and they're all under five or uh, five years i think el paso is the oldest uh ballpark at five years yeah
1: no uh fort wayne actually is 10 years which is hard to believe they celebrate their 10 year anniversary but it looks like a brand new park i was just out there last weekend it's huh. gorgeous
2: i'm heading out there next month uh my wife oh, and i you Yeah, we're going out to we're gonna see two games in Fort Wayne and then we're heading over to Chicago because the Padres are playing the Cubs. So we're looking yeah. forward to that. And I want to reach out to Travis out there in Fort Wayne before we head out because I'd like to meet up.
1: You should. We'll give you some dining tips, man. Make sure you go to Cindy's Diner, get oh. Coney Island Wiener and uh some good places. Nice. And if you're really and for a heart attack on a platter, go to Powers Burger. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. And we're, we're gonna kill have to, you. We're gonna have to check those out. Yep. All right, so we're going to get to the players here a little bit. Um, Michelle okay. Baez has been working in short stints. It seems like he's pitching a couple innings at a time. I know that there's been injury concern. Um, he's right. kind of rehabbing for something. But some people are concerned that he might uh, they might be prepping him for a reliever role. Um, do you guys have a take on that? Is he just trying to get some innings under his belt?
1: You know, I mean, as someone who works in the government, sometimes getting injury news out of the Padres is tougher than talking to someone with a CIA. I mean, they have... Um, He's had some arm problems that are coming back, really. So I think it's on a shoulder. I'm not positive on that. I should have that information. As far as a reliever role, no, I think they see both him and I'm sure we're getting to Adrian Morahone still as starters. The big question on bias has always been his velocity was down a little bit because he had some uh, back problems too, I think, uh, last year. So that kind of affected his ability to really kind of bear down the ball. When I saw him in 17, he was he was really really good. I mean, his fastball was in the upper 90s, and it really played off his slider and curve. Those kind of gone down a little bit, but supposedly his velocity's back. I don't have a whole lot of information on him, but you know, he's still fairly young. And I mean, Baez is someone that you know he's six eight and has a potential to sit in the high 90s. He can he can take his time, you know. So he, he's pretty good. Morhone, if we're gonna get to him. He's kind of coming back real slow. He had some shoulder inflammation. I We'll have an interview coming up with him in about a week or two, which I, I did when I was out there in Amarillo. Uh, he's in better shape, and I think, as I, I've said before, like if Gore is the number one pitching prospect, when Morahone's on, and that I understand that's a big if. Uh, you know, he's probably about one B. I mean, Morahone has a lot of <laughs> a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, you see that 96 the, the fastball and he plays off the curveball. Yes. It's just you see the one inning, you're like, oh my God, can we get four innings of that? And we're good. I just, he's really that good. But, you know, having seen Mac a couple times, you can't get much prettier. You just, I mean, no. God, no. it's, it's, and a Mac sh-
1: would have been, Mac would have been too in double A if he hadn't gotten the blister issue. And when I was out in Fort Wayne, I was talking to a couple of the guys and they're pointing out that. Last year Mac had blood blisters. And so that affected his ability. He couldn't really spin his slider or his uh his curveball. And his curveball needed a little bit of work. His curveball is very good. It's not ultra plus yet. Okay. Um, and that affected his ability to kind of do bullpens and he wasn't quite as sharp. And he's kind of made up for a vengeance. He had a good Kevin Charity had a good interview with him where um Mac was a little fired up and he doesn't really need to be fired up that much more. I mean, uh to curse a little bit on your pat on your pod he he's got a bit of the red ass as uh you can see Cause you guys have seen him pitch yeah. and uh he's an intense guy real mellow guy yeah outside lines but when he's out there i mean there's he's he's not messing around
0: the last start i saw him he uh he was just dealing uh it was perfect yeah. for and he sat like everyone was up on the top step he was down on the bench and no one was looking at him like even he'd look over at me once in a while cuz i had the uh my camera and i was on the field there but i like i didn't wait i took a picture when he wasn't looking at me cuz he's just intense no one talked to him were you intimidated and i'm incredibly intimidated but you get off the field <laughs> he's like you know he gives me kind of a little nudge and like hey how you doing
1: um so
0: he, one the thing the that- thing about
1: mac one thing about him that is really i find fascinating about him is like when you stand next to Mac, he's about I'd say six three and a half. Yeah. Maybe six four. When you talk to him, he had a growth spurt late in high school. So when and I asked him, you know, with his pitching motion, with the leg coming up, why he did that, he said he needed that to get power because I think he grew I have to check, I think he grew about four or five inches in his junior or senior year. Oh, wow. So that so the thing is why he is the pitcher he is, he isn't the quintessential big kid who's always the tallest guy throws a big fastball he had to develop a change he had to develop a slider and a curve and then suddenly he's a good pitcher in high school then then he gets height and fastball kicks up about 10 miles per hour and it's whoa we we got something here and then on top of that the last tidbit i've said this before but um unless you guys are like my wife and hang on every single word that i say um uh, Jim uh, Jim Callis made a good comment who I think nearly wants to adopt McKenzie Gore at times. Yeah, but He said that if McKenzie had come out and say he didn't want to pitch, he was going to East Carolina to play center field and pitch. He would have been no later than a third-round pick as a center fielder. Wow. So this guy's an athlete.
2: It's yeah, funny you say I'm, that because they put a video out. The Storm put a video out of the pitchers taking batting practice. And you can see a couple of guys kind of look don't look like they know what they're doing. Um, uh, Patino looked okay with the bat. And then you see Mackenzie Gore step in there. And it was a polished-looking swing with balance. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, really good balance hitting off the back foot.
2: So you talked about Maury and we try to preach patience because every time his name comes up, we want to remind people that he's 20 years old, he's young, he's, he's got years of development before the team really needs to make a decision with him. So we need to be patient and let him, if he's only going a couple innings now, that doesn't mean that they're grooming him as a reliever, but right. people like to have that reaction.
1: I don't, I don't want to go up to Uncle Ron and, and talk about the guy I advocated spending $11 million for and ending up costing with the tax $22 million I see as a trade chip or a middle reliever. I kind of want to take my time and make yeah. sure that I am absolutely sure I know what I do and I don't have. And more homes there. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I, I just, it takes a while to learn how to be a professional pitcher, you know.
2: So speaking of professional pitchers, uh, Reggie Lawson's doing pretty well. Do you think he's going to see yes. any time in uh, in El Paso this year?
1: Reggie had a little bit of, I think, elbow inflammation, so they kind of put him on a little bit um, on the shelf. I saw Reggie in probably his best start when I was out there in Amarillo early in May, and I mean Reggie Reggie's one of these guys. He throws a, he sits consistently in the mid nineties, and he's another guy that's a big kid that's about six five. And he throws nothing but a he throws a four seam fastball, so it comes up, and his his curveball is good. It comes down, but what they really want him to do is throw, throw the changeup. And I heard you guys podcast, and I think it was nice you quoted me because I talked to Wellman about that, and and, and uh, I'd interviewed Reggie the day before, and Wellman came in, and I said what what made him him so effective? He goes, Well, Reggie likes his money. And they right. said, What do you mean? <laughs> he said, well, we told Reggie if we don't see at least 20 change ups tonight, it's going to cost him a lot. And uh, he Roman had a cigar and he smiles and Reggie liked his money. So, and he right. he, he did great because when he has the change up in the curve, that changes the, not only the, the speed, but it's the eye level. And so his fastball is coming in. Hey, anyway, Donovan, you still play. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're gearing up for a 95 mile per hour fastball, and yeah. something comes in there eighty three, and then on top of that, you got the curve, which looks like the fastball is slower to drop straight down, and then change up fades. That's tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for us, it's more like if you see a fifty five mile an hour fastball, and then they throw like a forty mile an hour lollipop. You know, it's still you're on your front foot. It's really bad.
1: Well, I told you know when I was in Fort Wayne, I told uh, I told Blake Hunt we were chatting, and I said at the old stadium that the that the Wizards used to play in, they used to have a batting cage pretty close by and he'd see 80 miles an hour in the batting cage. It'd be, wow, that's fast. And I said, Joe, everybody who writes or broadcasts, all of us ought to stick our butts in there yeah. for just about a couple sessions, try to hit. And then we can come back and talk about how, yeah. <laughs> how, how much, how many cookies these guys miss, you know? <laughs> exactly.
2: So you, you talked about money with Reggie Lawson and there was an interesting article on the athletic a while ago about kangaroo, mm-hmm. kangaroo courts, um, right. And about like, it was about Frank Robinson and how he would run the kangaroo courts of the different teams he played. We don't see what goes on in the clubhouse and the dugout. Do they do a lot of that kind of thing, little things to incentivize like, Hey, I'll give you an extra bag of Skittles. If you <laughs> strike out five guys today.
1: That kind I of don't stuff? think so. I, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a really, I've known Philip Wellman, that manager at Amarillo for a couple of years now. And he's, he's a really uh, good guy and he's just, funny as hell. And I think because we're around the same age, I end up talking to him kind of out there. I think I can say this. There was a game that didn't go that well the first night. And so I'm sitting in the dugout and finished interviews and he's talking and he's saying, he has a little notebook. He writes down on things that annoy him. He said, I wrote down 23 things that pissed me off. last. <laughs> and so he, he just starts going in and he kind of let the team have it. And then, you know, and pretty in his, pretty frank way and it's a family podcast so we'll just kind of leave it at that and they came on and they played much better the one thing about all those guys is that they have never heard anyone on or off the record crap on wellman they they all like him because when you get to double a wellman is very honest with him he wants all these guys to make it but he will tell right. them exactly what they need to do right not only to make it but to stay there and uh you know i think all those guys really appreciate it because. You know, as we've talked on Mad Friars with a bunch of us, there, there's no guessing what Philip Wellman kind of thinks of you within the first 60 seconds. I mean, you got a right. pretty damn good idea where, where he's coming from at all times. Not, again, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a perfect manager for the double-A Well,
0: and, and, that's, and that's really the big thing is, like, you need to be honest at double-A level. You know, with a t- Coach Tarasco, you know, there's still a lot of development, a lot of stuff. Like, right. Here's what you need to do to get better. In A, like you're just a you're an injury away from making the big league club, but you. Well, need that was to a great this. line one
1: time by um, years ago when I was first doing this. I uh, was talking with Colt Morton, who was an interesting guy. He was a six seven catcher. He lists himself as six five. He's the only guy I ever know that any guy, that <laughs> lied about his height. But he made the comment. He said, "Everybody at double A, pitcher or hitter, they can all play in the big leagues. You know, it's just a question of how consistently they do things." Yeah. He said, and this is when Chase Headley just went up, and he goes, "That's why Chase is, you know, just got called up. He's in San Diego, and he's on a private jet to New York. He's going to stay at the Four Seasons, have a great steak, and I'm hoping Whataburger's open late at night in uh, in Midland, you know, (laughs) because he can he can he can hit that pitch two times out of ten more than I can, and that's the difference. It's really close.
2: Yeah, I always find it interesting when they're talking about batting averages and the difference between this and that is two hits in a month." And, right. and you don't think about that. So right. this morning, you published a really good article about Jorge Onya, um, and I'll give oh, I'll give a shout out to the listeners that if you guys don't subscribe to Mad already, you're a bunch of fools because they do amazing work on a daily basis. Um, so Jorge Onya, and no,
1: not one dollar of the money goes to feed David J's army. <laughs> so we'll keep that.
2: So you're telling me that all of those beef and cheddars come out of his own pocket?
1: <laughs> you know, you know look. Let me say this real quick. You know, I, I, that was very nice to say, Roy. The whole reason that I do the Arby's bit with David is David won. <laughs> he's a bigger food snob than me. He's never been there. And so one year when I was in San Antonio, I drove out to Lockhart, Texas, which is the barbecue capital. It's like an hour drive. And you, you get a kick out of this. Um, since you're a chef. And there's like three of the top five barbecue places oh, yeah. in Texas there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm eating there and there's like an Arby's close by. And I, I, I tweeted out. I said, why would there be an Arby's here when there's such quality brisket and all this? And so Jay tweeted back. He said, because stupid people need a place to eat, too. Oh
0: so, my God. Didn't he just say something about that just today on Twitter? I like Oh, my God. He's like, because the intelligence level that people need to Arby's is, well, it's because poor people need to eat. And, and
1: uh, No, and the, and the best thing about it now is David will go on podcasts and people like on the Kept Faith, they'll say things like him, like, Hey, conniffs mean. I really like Arby's too, you know? and <laughs> I love
2: that. <laughs> they just do the troll him. I love. It. Oh man, everybody loves to pick on David, but he's a he's a good guy. And he, 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 he takes it in good in good
0: heart. I would said right. something on Twitter, and Scan was on the kind of line, and I called him like Lord. We what does what Eric and David call him? Voldemort. Them? And I don't even know what that means, but Scan's like, come back to me. What does that mean? Or I don't know what it means. And I'm like, well, he's kind of like he's kind of a curmudgeon, but everyone he loves being a curmudgeon.
1: And he's a little salty, a yeah. little <laughs>
0: salty. And you know, I didn't hear nothing else from Scan, but you know, it, it's it's that's
2: he kind of loves being the mean guy. You know, it's also yeah. a little salty. Is a Arby's beef and cheddar sandwich. Mm. Yeah, so, yes. horsey sauce. So you put out this Jorge Onya article today. Um, mm-hmm. So Jorge Onya drew one of the larger signing bonuses in 2016 when he was signed. And then
1: second he's, highest about this 14 with it. That might be, I think that's hot. That's second highest of all time. I got to look, I could definitely be wrong on that
2: though. Uh, well, it was second to Adrian Morihon that year. Uh, right. But anyway, so he was signed. He was supposed to be this horse that had tons of yes. power and bat speed and control. And then he showed up. He ha- he did okay in Fort Wayne, had a very poor year in Lake Elsinore. Yes. And it looks like this year he's finally turning it around. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the injury that he had, what he's done to rehab from the injury, and specifically what he's done to turn his apparently turn his career around Absolutely. in his third year in pro ball?
1: his first two years, he was the type of guy that had a lot of nagging injuries that were the worst type. They're the type that are not enough to keep you off the field, but not enough to really help you play as well as you'd like. Um, This year, he was going really well, but then he uh, hurt his right shoulder. He's kind of gotten in a little bit different shape. When he first was out there, he looked like a football player. He's a little leaner now. He never was fat or anything like that. He isn't quite the guy that Ben Battler of Baseball America kind of said where he's um kind of a plus defender on the corners. He could play center occasionally. No, I mean he's pretty much a left fielder only. And okay. he, he works really hard. And in fact, I and this is hard to say, I probably like Naylor a little bit more in left field than I do Onya. So I mean, you know, Naylor is I hate this. I'm sorry, I apologize. It's a horrid cliche, but he is surprisingly athletic. I mean, Naylor can throw. He has good instincts out there. And I think, as I've said before in a couple places, Naylor really, really wants to be a Padre. He really likes it here. His
2: footwork impresses me when I really watch
1: him. Smart hitter, too. Um,
2: So, Onya, you say he's changed his his body a little bit? Um, A little bit. He's a
1: little leaner. He's always had a good idea at the plate. And one thing, too, is, I mean, you guys know this because we have – you cover the system, too – that there's a kind of a difference between a lot of the Cuban guys they got. They're from national teams. They kind of grew up in a more structured environment and you contrast that with the Dominican guys who, you know, kind of are in these camps or more skill level. They haven't really played as many games. They're, they're two really different players. Like the Cuban pitchers, I swear when they come here, the guys have about eight pitches and they got to cut it down to like three and then, then move them up slowly. They let another one come back occasionally. As far as oni goes, I think oni needs to kind of go to the post a little bit more. Uh, he needs to play more before we can really talk about moving him up or where he would fit.
2: I guess that's fair because he's been limited the last two years and yeah. he's yeah. finally healthy. So you
1: know, he's been out for a month. Yeah,
2: yeah, ball bouncing off his head. Oh yeah, last year he yeah. apparently caught a foul, a foul, a home run ball hit the foul pole and caught him right in the face. That's one of the craziest injuries I've ever heard.
1: But one thing about Onia that that you do like, and you, and you I like this about Naylor a lot was they're, you know, they're out there early yeah. every day working on it. And a long time ago, I got, I wrote something on, a. Oh, remember, you remember a guy called Jack Cust? Oh yeah. yeah. Left-handed power, power hitter, hitter with
2: the A's. Yeah.
1: I got this great quote from Kevin Goldstein. I asked, well, you know, what's he like defensively? And And Kevin wrote, you know, well, at first base, he's a lawn ornament, and in left field, he's a little less.
0: Wow. And
1: I, I thought it was funny.
0: But in and the lineup, Joe, he's like a 35-homer guy. So
1: Yeah, but the next day, I go out there, and I'm out there early at the park at maybe 2 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game because I had some things to do. And Cuss had been out there for like since 12, working on ground balls, working on fly balls in left field. And I felt like the biggest ass, you know, I mean, so I, you know, if a guy is out there like both Naylor and only they got some work to do, but you see how hard they're working. I'm not going to crap on them. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, they're they're doing what they can.
2: Yeah. I've heard the same thing about Fran Mill putting in work on defense lately. Oh yeah. Well, and I also saw it a couple of times with
0: Luis Camposano he's out there well before uh, any pitchers are out there doing drills, doing uh, receiving drills, doing blocking drills and just get putting in the work. And
1: he's, a,
0: he's yeah. a, as Tony likes to say, he goes up there with mean intentions and
1: does yeah, he's a, he's a the mean ball. guy. Yeah.
0: So, I, one of the things I thought was kind of cool, and following minor league baseball and, and the relationships with, you know, particularly with like the affiliate kind of shuffle that we've had this last uh, year, the relationship with the major league team with the affiliates. And mm-hmm. I, I really thought bringing Tatis to Hodgetown was kind of uh, the potter's way of like going, you were supposed to get him. You probably shouldn't get him now because he should be in AAA. But here is for Tatis for a week, or at least for a couple of games. And I think it was a nice tip <laughs> of the cap to the organization. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm a sweet guy. I like optimism. <laughs> I'm very anti. I'm not the opposite of David J. I'm very optimistic and happy. Right. Um. But that's how I kind of read into it. And then I've read some things about relationships with the organizations where. You know, if they keep pulling guys, organizations will pull guys out of affiliates and the village like, dude, you just our biggest draw was that guy and you don't need to bring him up so soon or, you know, is that how you kind of saw that?
1: I saw it a little differently. I mean, I think with Tatis, I think uh, Bob Scanlon made a good point on one of the broadcasts that they sent Margavis just down because they had a long, you know, homestand. And I think Tatis was probably going to be in El Paso, not not Amarillo. I, I thought. Anyway, I could be wrong on that. And I think they put him down there because it was a homestand. He wasn't going to have to get up at three in the morning and take a, a PCL flight out to somewhere like Omaha or somewhere like that. And as far as I think you're on the right path about what they should do to take care of the affiliates and all that, how much do those guys actually think about that is kind of a different situation. I mean, all those guys like Ganey and Ben Sustanovich and AJ Preller. I mean, they're pretty focused on.
0: Yeah,
1: guy, they're for the Padres. Like, I mean, one of the, the the club presidents said, you know, a lot of times when the playoffs come, maybe they'll send a the guy down and they'll, they'll let the club play maybe the twenty four year old at the A ball level so they can win. Padres don't do that. Right. Padres play prospects. They play prospects all the time, and the way they look at players is they have to always see a guy kind of have a shot to be in the big leagues or they kind of move on so i i saw that it was
2: everybody was pointing out that the sod poodles were going to have like a 650 mile bus ride down to corpus christi Christi, so there was no (laughs) way they're
1: short that's a short bus ride that was a good that was a good get by david on that but the corpus christi is not even one of their longest trips i mean they go to I mean, Midland's nearly as far. They go to Northwest Arkansas. They have a bus trip to Springfield, Missouri, which yeah. is like about 14 hours. So that is – but the thing is, the Padres did this this year. They – I don't know if they had it last year, but they have two buses. They have a bigger bus for the players, which is a sleeper one, where all the guys can lay down and actually – and then the second bus for the coaches and uh, – And
0: Hodgetown. They have the Hodgetown that shuttle right? Do. That's the –
1: well, they got the Hodgetown, yeah, the Hodgetown Stadium in the middle. But yeah, they don't have that in the Midwest League. All the guys in the 10 caps were asking. A couple asked me about the buses at I, I double ice. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about them.
2: But, so yeah. you say the Padres coordinate the, the bus?
1: I think the Padres, yeah, I think I, I'd have to check. I'm not positive. Now. I think the Padres do. Generally, the way it goes is the Padres are responsible for the players' salaries, about half the equipment, and 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 kind of the as kind of the expenses that are associated with the team, the minor league affiliates are kind of always say they're they're responsible for the show, the stadium, right. maintenance of that, like that. Of course, you know they sometimes there's a conflict between the clubs and the ownership about what the stadium has or does not have. But yeah, but recently the Padres have had pretty good relations with them. Um, all the affiliates, from what I can see, and another place that just is going to open up Friday is Tri Cities, which is a lot of fun to go yeah. up to too. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I, we we've joined the Booster Club as of this year, and it's been interesting you know, as I've gotten into the whole minor league world, learning yes. where those lines fall between what the what the the organization pays for and what the local team pays for. So right. in, in Lake Elsinore, sure. they don't have a weight room. And apparently their batting cages are old and dilapidated and like high schools have nicer batting cages. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of, um, of an, like the guys all work out like a planet fitness, I think. And so I've, I would like to see major league baseball come up with some sort of a initiative or a rule or a relationship that the team needs to invest a certain amount into the facilities because if well, i'm if i'm the the general manager of the lake elsinore storm and i've got $50,000 in revenue that i can invest into something am i going to put that into a new weight room and upgrade the locker room? Or am I going to put that into something in the concourse that's going to drive revenue,
1: drive revenue.
2: It's a simple decision. Yeah. And it, a lot
1: it, of those guys are going to put the money in their pocket. unfortunately.
2: that too. Yeah. And so there's yeah. definitely conflicts of interest where as an organization, I would think that you would want to make sure that your players have everything they need to be able to, to, to train like professional athletes.
1: And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, those are great points. The only thing is a lot of times, You'll you can take a look at the different places, and suppose suppose the Padres really did complain, didn't like it. There's suppose it was much worse at a big conflict with like Elsinore. Where are you going to go? Okay, you're you're pretty. You can go up to you can go the Florida State League. You're going to go to a different affiliate. I mean, there's 30 clubs, and those guys kind of know that. Like the big the big hammer everyone always has in the Midwest League is like. Well, hell, you don't like this. You can go play in Clinton. Clinton is like one of the worst stadiums in all of minor league baseball. And that's something they always threaten them with in uh, the Midwest League. But, you know, the Amarillo weight room is state of the art. Yeah. The facilities there are amazing. So is El Paso. And, uh, you know, I, I know they've been trying to get a new weight room in like Elsinore. I know they just switched over team presence. So, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there.
0: Yeah, the guy who came over from the. Uh, um... From the power, from the West uh, mm-hmm. West Virginia power, right. Um, you know, and kind of with my dealing with the Booster Club and dealing with the shirts, one of the things that they struggle with is money. So Terrence up there, Lake Elsinore, has two hundred and fifty bucks to to feed a team on a road trip. And yep. one of the one of the quotes, one of the uh, one of the host families was saying, like, one of the players was like, "If I ever see El Pollo Loco again, I'm going to throw up." Like he, <laughs> he has these deals. With local restaurants that will give him a better deal because he knows what the situation is, and that's another thing about not only with the pay with minor league players, but like you're trying to develop a world class athlete on a nickel budget, on a McDonald's budget. Um, they're you know they're and you're talking about a billion dollar company Oops. working on slave labor there as you go pause. So you still there yeah you know what I mean. So it is there is an
2: argument there to be said, uh, but we're not here to. Run down the Padres are, you know... No, no.
1: no all, the, fair, all fair points.
2: The Padres are doing all the same fair. things that Every, 29 other organizations right. are doing. And that's the thing is that if one team starts changing it, then yeah, it's, it, it, it kind of disrupts the balance of things. Um, the Blue Jays are increasing their pay for minor league players. I think we'll probably start seeing that s- spread around. But I would hope that the players organization is going to speak up now that this has become a, a public subject in yeah. the last couple of years.
1: Um, you know what? There's a good. There's a book and um, on that subject. He's he's kind of an ass of as a person, but Dirk Hayhurst wrote um, the Bullpen Gospels, and he wrote a second one, and in it he makes kind of the same point that that Roy is making about to one of the players, like, hey, maybe we should uh, increase a little bit. So, like guys, especially in AAA, as they get older, maybe they got a family, they got kids, yeah. and it's really tough to live on that. And a lot of those guys' attitude is. Well, why? I mean, the guys who are good and make the pros, and they—it's it, kind of a weird thing. Like, you can always tell a guy who got bad advice in the draft when he says, "Oh, I took less for money because I'll make my money in the big leagues." I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> good luck. I mean, that might be your that might be your big it might be your big payday.
2: Yeah, but there's so no sure thing, right? All right. It's- so, <laughs> getting back to the players, um, Darius Valdez. Have you had a chance to take a look at him? How's he doing?
1: He's the guy I would have bet on at the Big Texan. I mean, he he could easily take down that seventy-two ounce steak and oh, not I even. bet.
2: What's he? Six <laughs> I mean, foot yeah. eight, like two hundred and eighty pounds. He's a big dude.
1: He's a big dude. You know, I, I've seen him before a couple times. I think I saw him when I was out in Amarillo. He's got a big fastball. Sometimes his big problem is with his command. Um, yeah, not not as much on him. I don't think he's the guy that really got excitement. The guy down there who. Just got promoted to El Paso. Was when people were talking about was Andres Munoz. Then yeah. and I actually saw Munoz get his first hit, which just excited him to no end. I mean, it was a, it would broke broke a tie game, and he loved doing that.
0: We talked about but, it on the podcast we, for like ten minutes. <laughs> we, we we were at the game yeah. when
2: Nick Margavich just got his first hit, and oh my god, that was so awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mark Abish is a great person to talk to. I've always enjoyed talking with him
2: too. We talked to him last winter and he was one of our favorite interviews. And it was funny. At the time, we're talking to him thinking maybe at some point down the road, he gets a Kyle Lloyd style call up for one game. Right. We had no idea that he was going to rock it up through spring training and make, break camp with the team. Yeah. So we are so happy for him.
1: Yeah, that was when I mean, when I was in when the Padres were in D.C. I had a chance to interview him, and then I had a chance to interview Andy Green about him. And I thought what Green said was really fascinating because you know people always said that, oh well, he pitched well in spring training. Spring training stats don't mean this. And, and Green said, no, he he made the team based on what he did last year, what he was performing off in the winter, and it was an organization decision. And he, they talked about his ability to kind of. Can really command his fastball, which kind of, you know, failed him a little bit in May, but hopefully he can come back and, and get better at that. Right. I think the thing was really fascinating about him was when he graduated from high school, he was six one, six one half, 240. Then he got into eating better and better and weights and he grew. And now he's like six five, two twenty five. 225. So, you know, if you kind of go to the draft, those are the kind of guys you're kind of looking at where there's something that really changed from them from high school You know, to college, not just the numbers or stats like
2: that. Yeah, that's an interesting point because the Padres do seem to go after a lot of these pop up prospects. Uh, The guy that they picked in the third round, Hudson Head, is what. Hudson Head. Yeah, yeah. People reference Mason House, but he has a little bit more of a of a track record behind him. But he's a guy that nobody was really on him a a year ago, and then a good year of performance. But yeah, like you said, Nick was great all last year, and I'm sure it's not just what he did on the field; it's also how he handled himself between his starts you know, the, oh, yeah. the makeup ethic, the, the, in the professionalism makeup. that he is because you see that he, goes he was up. weird he
1: was he was the guy that 10 caps would send out to talk to to media or after the game um last year and this year the guy that has that that spot he's a really good with the media and, and i'm a big fan of too as i think as most people meet him is blake hunt and uh blake hunt's a lot of fun to talk to and i'm a it's hard to be objective with him because I'm really pulling from You're, the bank.
2: you're talking to members one A and one B of the Blake Hunt fan dude, club, right dude, here. Did you not listen to our episode with him?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to. I got to get that caught up. It, he told me to listen to it. it was, I interviewed him. It was so good. He's a fun guy.
2: He edgy, He took us to school. I mean, talking.
1: Oh, he's about, intelligent.
2: He is such a bright, personable guy. And then we meet his dad, and his
0: dad's like, oh, "I love the pot. It was great. I gave it to all the." And then his dad's like talking to us. We're like, "Wow, he's got oh, that's great. Yeah,
2: he pointed he pointed us out to Sam Guinea, and Sam Guinea started listening to us. I mean, oh my god! So and yeah, oh, Blake Hood, we're huge fans. Yeah. So when we go out to uh, Fort for, Fort Wayne next month, um, I believe Blake's parents are going to be there that same weekend. So we're going to connect with them because Angela's been keeping in touch with him With uh, oh, yeah, you Cindy. should yeah.
1: His roommate is his roommate is about is about, I think they're both. Very much the same type of people. I mean, I think they're great. Play- I think they're very good baseball players. They're probably better people. Uh, Joey Cantillo is a lot of fun to talk to. You guys get a chance interview Joey. We did. He can take it. Cool. Okay. So too.
0: now that we know you don't listen to our podcast, which is fine. I got we a lot to listen to. You're very busy. We talked to him in the I- beginning of the season.
1: We've okay, I'll to, go. Okay, I will go back and listen to it, and then I will tweet about it. I promise. Right. You no, you don't. A word on that.
2: You <laughs> no, that I want to hear it.
1: I mean, I like Joey a lot. Joey was a lot of fun to talk to,
0: and he was Pitching really night, Yeah, he was really good to talk to. Tom
2: Cosgrove was great. Um, Gabe yes. Moser, who's just he's just running yep. with the podcast mojo. Yeah. So we've got a thing that the people that have talked to us on our podcast have gone on to have later success, and our most there recent success story is actually Emily Walden. Um, I yeah. don't know if you heard, but she got hired by Baseball America. She's been writing for um, for The, the Athletic. Athletic. And now she wow. got on as one of their staff writers for the Detroit Tigers organization. So the podcast mojo transcends all working forms of baseball.
0: Absolutely.
1: There you go. Okay. That's good stuff Emily.
0: Let's get back to work here. Um, okay, so, I mean, who do we go? Owen Miller, Edward Oliveras. Has Edward Oliveras played himself maybe into a conversation with the Padres?
1: I'm not sure because, I, you know, I always preach, like, you know, when we're talking about people like Blake Hunt and Joy Cantillo and lower lower levels, we kind of just hope they do well and, and then we'll see what happens when they get to double-A. When right. you get to double-A, you start trying to see where guys can fit. I think there's a lot of people kind of ahead of him, especially in an outfield. And I think with Oliveras and Luis Torrens, the catcher up there, you know, they're both on the 40-man. There's a big crunch on that. And I think sooner or later, the Padres – have so many guys and they're going to need spots. Those are kind of the the trades I could see more of a consolidation of like three spots for one or something like that. I think Oliver is a good player. I mean, uh, Wellman was a big fan of his him batting lower in the order. And he came up, has some, has a little bit of pop, can play all three positions, can steal a base. Torrens, I think has really improved a lot. You guys probably saw a lot of him last year. Uh, well, like Elsinore. you know, he, in one of the games I saw, Torrens had just showed some amazing guts. Where, that was a game lost in pitch well. Bases loaded, one nothing, full count, ninth inning. He calls for a splitter in the dirt. And, I mean, he you know he blocked it. Guy swung on a strike on it. It's just an amazing gutsy call for him to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think he's really come a long way. To
2: know that that pitch is coming and trust yourself, that you're going to keep it in front of you. With the runner bearing down on you from third base, that, yeah, we I I think you wrote somebody wrote that up in in your daily wrap up, Um, yeah. So uh, we already talked about we got Joey Cantillo and Gabe Moser next on our list, but you already talked about them, yeah. Owen Um, Miller. So oh
1: yeah, we. You know what? It was weird when you said someone wrote that up. Is I I think I did, not I remember when I first started doing this a long time ago. I was in Mobile, and I was interviewing Paul McInulty, and I used to write. P-Mac. Lady, they're
0: talking about PMAC. <laughs> My wife always references
1: PMAC as one of those guys,
0: one of the podcasts. And I fans. used,
1: yeah. And I used to write the the, the monthly uh, um, players a month. And then PMAC was the one in, in mobile. And so I'm talking to him and he's doing well. And he goes, you know, people are even writing that, uh, you know, I, am not going to be here that long. I'm going to be moved up to Portland because I've been hidden well. And it's only a matter of time. And I said, Hey, I wrote that. And he goes, I knew you looked intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, we oh, I did, love P. Obviously, P-Man you guys awesome. were on on
0: the uh, on Miller during the draft, but like he got drafted, hit himself out of out of the complex, hit himself out of Tri Cities, hit himself yep. out of out of Fort Wayne, and then just hit himself out. Of, I mean, just would not stop hitting, all the way up and through spring training on the major league roster, playing deep in the games. The kid just and then had a little bit of a slow start, but is now back to where he should be hitting 300. I call him a professional hitter in development.
1: Well, what, now let me ask you. you: you you still play and hit? What yeah. what do you think when you watch Owen Miller swing? I
0: I, I think there's huge patience at the plate. I think he needs right. when he gets his pitch, he attacks and. It's one of the things that the Dodgers do really well. It's like they will wait for their pitch and when they get their pitch they do not miss.
2: Well, what impresses me with him is how short and direct he is to the ball. Yeah. That he, there's right. no loop, there's no wind up. It's just it's just the bat's right there. Yeah. So I think that's what allows him to have the patience because he can wait that millisecond later to make the decision. Yeah. You
1: know, the only thing about him is he has such good hand-eye coordination that I worry sometimes that that he can get the bat on too many pitches, you know, okay. and that maybe if he got a tad bits more selective, but that's hard to ding him with the numbers he's put up, because I think interesting too about Owen was, you know, he didn't play high school baseball; he just played travel ball. He was more of a basketball yeah. player in high school.
2: Yeah, one thing he doesn't do is walk. No. And do you see that? Not as much. That, that's a, that's an
0: interesting comment there. Do you see a lot of players? choosing the travel ball route instead of playing high school baseball, or is it still traditionally, uh, you know, high school players
1: getting picked? You know, they're both. Cause I think Owen's from upper Wisconsin. So there wasn't, he kind of had to play more travel ball. The season wasn't as long, but I did ask that question, which you did in, um, in Fort Wayne, I was talking to uh, Xavier Edwards. I got a lot of writing to do, but that's one that's coming up. And uh, I asked him how many games he was playing a year. And, you know, he's 19. He said, well, you know, between between high school, between fall ball, between summer ball, probably around 120 games a year. Wow. So those guys are playing a lot. And that's kind of a bigger difference is like, you know, when people who went to high school in the 80s or 90s, I mean, they might have played 30, 35 games of, you know, high school ball and maybe right. you know, 30 in the summer. But it's it's year-round. These guys play in different showcase events. And so – you know, and kind of when if you kind of go into the draft a little bit, that's why I think so many of them go because on a if you go to a big school like SC or UCLA, you're you're good enough to go there. There's only 11.7 scholarships there. If you get drafted in the fourth round by Padres, Brewers, Yankees, or whatever, and they offer you, let's say they offer you slot about 350,000, you're going to get that money, and then on top of that, it's in all their contracts that. If you want to go to school until you're like thirty, I think like thirty or thirty-five, I gotta take a look. That they'll pay full room and board. So, you know, if it's your kid and you've been putting this guy around for six years, about 120 games, and they really like baseball, I mean they should go.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's an age, you guys do this enough that you know it's an it's an age game. Yeah. If you get out of college and you're twenty one, you go out to Tri Cities, great. You know, you're 22. The next year, you're in low A. I mean, you got to really be able to move. You got to count on someone not blocking you. As compared to, now, you know, you're 18. You go out there, you play the A. Z. L. Your first year. If you're good enough, you can make. You're on the 10 caps, like 19, 20, 21, and you can get hurt, and it won't kind of screw up your your timeline. That's but man, right, it is a, It's a tight timeline if you come out of college, man. You know
2: that's a good point because you've got Owen Miller and then you've got Xavier Edwards, not too far behind him. But Owen Miller's what three years older?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's pretty young. He was twenty. He was like twenty-one, I think, when he came out. I don't have my. I can't pop up my computer without losing my connection with you guys. But yeah, he was pretty young. And Owen and you guys know this too. There's, I think, the last guy to kind of make that jump from Fort Wayne to. Double A was Trey Turner. Yeah.
2: Mm, interesting observation.
1: Trey Turner. Trey Turner had one of the best. I've told this before, but he had one of the best plays I think I ever saw in a game. He was playing in this game in San Antonio. It was one nothing. Turner had kind of gone over two. Uh he got mad at himself for trying to pull the ball. Comes up in the seventh inning, just serves one out to right field, right? Gets on first base, one nothing game, one out. Everyone in the stadium knows he's going to run. Right, Pitcher throws over there twice, misses, throws over a third time low, ball bounces in the dirt and kind of skids off his helmet. Turner looks down, takes a quick peek, and takes off. And he doesn't even stop at second. He goes into third base, dives in the outside corner of the bag, and he beat, beat it by about a, a good step. So after the game, he, he got stranded. I asked him, you know, why did you – you didn't even look back. What were you thinking? He goes, well, you know, I had to make sure it's one out. I wanted to be on third base. I needed to steal second. When I saw the ball bounce, I took a look. I saw the second baseman was going to get it, not the right fielder. He has a weaker arm, so I knew he couldn't prob- probably get me on the outside part of the third base bag. I said, you, you thought all that like in just seconds. again? Second? Right. He goes, Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, that, and, that's, yes. and that's the baseball iq that they talk about oh. that's you know when you when you hear baseball acumen baseball iq that's the decisions they make in a split second and that i, I think a lot of fans don't understand and, and you know us prospectophiles us that just follow minor league baseball we see that like yeah he's got good iq okay good then then he knows what it's going to take to Make those plays, he's gonna know it's gonna take a long time to get to where he needs to be development wise.
2: Well, and those are the things that don't show up in a box score, either. right? Because you'll see stolen base or whatever, somebody got a double. Well, you don't know that that double was a flare into weak, into short left field, and he saw that the left fielder wasn't coming up throwing hard, so he knew he could take that extra bag.
1: That no, and Turner was a guy who also made a comment too. He's talking, and it, he was a really interesting interview because he was talking about something he's working on, and then he said, Yeah, but you know, it. Unless it goes in the game, it's like, who cares? And then I asked him about, at that time, if he had the arm ready to stay at shortstop. You know, that people had said they saw him more as a second baseman or that. And he was really nice, but I still remember he said, you know, guys like you, you come in, you see two or three games, and and maybe you won't see a certain throw or this, but I'm getting better every day. And the statistics show I'm getting better every day. And I know I can be a big league shortstop, and I'm going to prove to everybody that I can. And he just said it was such. He wasn't being mean. That's just that's just how much confidence he had in his ability. Yeah. So he was a lot of fun to talk to. And
0: him. when they real quick, and we'll move on. When they traded him, he didn't spend any time in the minor leagues. He went straight to the Nationals and played. No,
1: he no, he went back. He was they in the Nats, it. and he yeah, he was in. Okay. They they put him in Harrisburg, which is their Double A. Then they put him in Syracuse. And then you got to remember that's when they had Ian Desmond, so they moved him out to center field, and he was running around out there for a little bit. But he, <laughs> he, he can. I mean, there was a, sto- a last story on Turner, because people will get all upset about this. But Turner supposedly ran. They timed him at a four-three at North Carolina State. But the the best story is they were having a pro day. Turner walks by with his book bag, cargo shorts. And like a polo shirt on. And they go, how fast do you run? He goes, oh, I don't know. And they go, you want to try it? I mean, these guys are in their, you know, <laughs> their Nike outfits, their gear, They're stretched shoes. out, they're ready to play. Turner literally puts the book bag down, runs once. They time it at 4-3, and then he goes, I got to get to class now. Take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and we just, we don't. You know, I dislike him because he's a good player and he does well against stuff. So it's like, you know, uh, we can get into the whole booing old players that used to play for us, and I don't get it. Nah, I don't do that. Let's get it. AC. um, God, I'm dying to interview that guy, and I'm trying to talk Roy into maybe getting some interview time, uh, some record record time. Oh, Anthony Contreras. Yeah, AC Anthony Contreras, not not Kevin AC. No, not Kevin AC. No. (laughs) Uh, How good is he being? you know, we talk about Philip Wellman being a great double A manager. Um, you know, uh, the the, Tony Tarasco being the good advanced a Mm -hmm. manager, you know, how good is AC at being, you know, a single a manager with
1: those. He's a, he's he's a, you know, he's a different guy than, than Philip Wellman. He's a lot more uh, regimented. He's a, he's a good interview. And I mean, that's, uh, I got to get that transcribed today. That'll be up the next couple of days. Um, yeah, he's a little stricter, but you know, he's as you guys know, he's dealing with, he's dealing with guys that are coming up. That's their first yeah. time away from home, it's their first or people job. that are from other countries. Yeah. You know, they're having to interact with people from Latin America who are away from home, seeing snow and cold weather for the first time. And AC, yeah. uh, AC was a really good. He was. I mean, I think we interviewed him, which makes all the players laugh. They go, Oh man, you guys must have doing it so long. Even you interviewed Coach when he used to play. Right. Which I was enjoyed telling Contreras when I interviewed him. <laughs> but uh he's uh yeah, he's he's good. He's he's a real stickler. He's real strict. But you know, I've kind of go back to to how Blake Hunt and Joey Cantillo are. I mean, I think as someone who has a 14 year old daughter, I was just amazed at how mature those guys are and how just Focus. they are on what they have yeah. going forward so they're really impressive people
0: well and you know you need that in a ball like you said if he's strict yes you kind of need the parent like here do you want to be a you know we want to play in the big leagues you want to play professional baseball you're here at the starting point basically of a true minority career here's how you do it and here's how you don't do it
1: and you show hey, i saw I saw Donovan Tate in, in Fort Wayne. So I have a pretty good idea of how you don't do it. So mm. I mean, uh, <laughs> I and mean, then Donovan wasn't a bad kid, but just, he, he, you know, one thing that that'll come out in the interview with Contreras, which is pretty good is he makes a point that the biggest thing he teaches guys is, is on the mental side. He said, because so many of these kids, it's like, you know, they're physically so much better than everybody right. in high school. And so what do they, what happens when suddenly a guy is kind of as good as you are physically? Right. How do you take the next step? And that's something that that hopefully will come out pretty well that, that Anthony Contreras goes into, which I think is interesting.
0: Well, it's interesting, and a and little tangent here, kind of the same thing with Luis Urias. He's had all this success in every level of the minor leagues. He finally hits a part, you know, he, he hits a place where he's not, and the makeup and he has to change everything that got him to that point. And I think that's one of the things that's it's incredibly hard to do. And you don't want to scout the stat line, obviously, but, you know, he's been the best kid on the team his whole entire life. He gets to the big leagues. All of a sudden, he's not – not only is he not the best player, but he's not doing well.
1: And- well, you know, that, a couple things is one thing that, that just has annoyed me, and I'll go on a bit of a, a soapbox here is – I've never had a problem with someone who says that, that scouting is stat line, I think that's a bad thing. I can tell you what a wonderful toolsy guy Michael Geddes is. Right. And, you know, Roy, or you could come back and say he has 190 strikeouts. I mean, he has to get more consistent. That's what baseball is a game about, consistency and right. doing it over a long period of time. The other thing about Urias, which has really bothered me, and I didn't get to meet Kevin AC in D.C. He was a, a nice person. I have no doubt about his reporting, but anybody who says – Luis Urias cannot hit a major league fastball. It's just full of it. I mean, because that's the first thing that you see at double A. I mean, I've seen guys who can't hit a major league fastball at double A. They're released. Yeah. Okay. They're gone. Now you can make a thing that Urias might have trouble trouble with a major league fastball when paired with a major league changeup, the change of speeds or recognizing it. That's different. Another thing about Urias, so much... I asked Reyes in the Futures game here about the, the whole leg kick thing. He said the problem was he was going – he likes the ball on the outside. You see a lot of his powers to right center. He was diving more across the plate. Guys would come in and throw him inside. He was getting cut off. And that's also what Philip Wellman said was his problem. And that's what Rod Baraha said. So those aren't my sources. Those are <laughs> my unnamed sources. Those are the three guys you right. can talk to about that. Now, as far as the height of his leg kick, yeah, maybe. I mean, in San Antonio, when he was doing real well, I'd see him a at different at-bats. He would put the thing up, down, pause it, depending on what he thought was coming on, and he was hitting about three fifty. So, you know, maybe there's some adjustment that's being made. I mean, that's my next stop going out to El Paso. Uh, hopefully I won't see Louie there. He'll be in the major leagues. Right. But, uh,
0: and, there's and our- two,
1: I think he's a quality guy, too. I mean, he's a quality person, and the thing is, I think there's been kind of a, some misconception about what type of player he is. He's a plus defender, okay? He's a guy who has good bat-to-ball skills. He's probably going to have good OBP. He can shoot the ball in the gaps. He's not a guy that's going to hit 30, 35 home runs. That's just no. not who he is. But Xavier Edwards is kind of the similar type of player, only with more speed. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and at the at the major league level, if you want to argue that point, like he didn't get a fair shake. 12 games no. at the end of last season and then no, no. off you no, no. ridiculous it yeah just it's it's how bad you look it's still you need time to make that adjustment yes and he wasn't given a fair shake I agree and now you well
1: know. they're they're working on something with him i mean as i said i more of my connections or the people i deal with is on the the development side yeah. so i think it's something People that could give you a better answer than I could probably be Dennis Lynn or AJ Casabell who deal more with the major league team than I do.
2: That's fair. Duane. Well, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned Xavier Edwards, uh, Mm -hmm. Marcano is another name. We seem to mention a lot for his consistent performance. Um, have you had a chance to see those two guys work together? Uh, Are they developing any kind of a camaraderie between the two or competitiveness?
1: Yeah, I, I did, see him. I saw him last year in, in Tri-Cities together. When they both came up for the first game, I lucked out. And uh, I saw them this – I saw Xavier in Fort Wayne. Tucapita was on the DL. I did get to interview him. Uh, but when I've seen Tucapita play, he has another guy with really, really good hand-eye coordination, bat-to-ball skills. He's probably he's, – he's a little – he's bigger than Xavier Edwards, so he's probably going to fill out more – He can play, like, pretty much he can play three positions pretty comfortably. Xavier's more of a guy more of an up-the-middle guy. I think he's a decent shortstop. He's a better second baseman. And, uh, yeah, Tukapita is someone people should really watch. Okay. Well,
0: it, like it, like I said, it should be the Xavier Edwards took a Peter Marcano podcast because every week it's like, oh, you know, Edwards hit another two for four, three for four, five for five, four for four. Um, Duane Williams-Sutton was uh, is one of those players uh, that kind of goes under the radar. Uh yeah. Kind of like a Lee Solomon. I, I've seen, watched a lot of the Fort Wayne games, and Lee Solomon plays a solid first base. Um from what I've been seeing, but Duane William Sutton's got that little bit of power. He's a little bit stocky, kind of like an Onya, but a little more athletic.
1: Uh, what do you see from him? Yeah, I think he he just, you know, he's he's kind of getting used to the level that he's playing with. I mean, really big, good sized guy, a lot of power. He got dinged up when I saw him. He was coming in, plays hard, He hurt his wrist. And I think he's he's still been out. Um, yeah, I mean, I know John Nolan likes him quite a bit. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the thing that people also miss is that, you know, seeing guys play at the Midwest league is, is better than any college conference. Okay. So it is a huge jump for a guy like Duane from, yeah, I think he's from East, isn't he from East Carolina? If I believe right.
2: That sounds right. I, I, yeah. Was he a two sport athlete? Am I remembering that right?
1: No, that's uh, the other ones. Juwan Harris. He's he was from also, Rutgers. he was
0: also drafted. For the, he was the yeah. team, same, same draft. He,
1: the calls World Series. Who was that team? The North Carolina Oh, okay, team. right. Yeah, on. and then, uh, yeah, Duane, yeah, Duane did that. Juwan Harris played football. Rutgers. Juwan Harris actually played football at Rutgers. He played two ways at Rutgers, and you know, wide receiver and quarterback. And now he plays
2: both ways in baseball.
1: He's center just fielder. Like everybody yeah, else he's except having, for the pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> All those guys, it just it it takes them a while. I mean, it just it's a lot of it's a very difficult game. A lot of repetitions, and uh, you know, even the guys we've been talking about, which hopefully won't turn into the Cantillo and Hunt show, but those guys are so young, but they've been around for a couple years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been doing this. They've had the off-season workouts, you know, and guys. That's kind of what we were talking about with college guys. That is that is something else to kind of get thrown into the pond and suddenly have to compete with those guys. Go ahead.
2: So Ryan Weathers is the last name on our list under Fort Wayne. And uh, he had that appearance a couple of weeks ago where he was kind of shaking his arm a little bit, lost some velocity. And then since then, the velocity hasn't quite been back. Um, I noticed in one of the write-ups that the term dead arm was used. Uh, Yeah. Is that the word coming out of the organization or is that kind of an observation that that one of the Madfriars guys had uh, to try to explain what he's working through right now?
1: I think that's one of the arms we heard from the broadcast. And as far as what is wrong with Ryan Weathers, I mean, that was like a... I mean, I think there's been more secrecy around the Russia investigation with Trump than there was around that when I was out there. <laughs> I mean, there was not a lot of... Uh, I couldn't even talk to Ryan the last day. And Ryan, I was supposed to interview him on on Sunday. He was kind of working through some things. From what they, From what they've said officially okay they, they've said that he's fine it's just kind of a longer season i think kind of a bit of an issue with ryan is that you got to remember one i saw him pitch on when he was i've seen him pitch on video and i saw him pitch in fort wayne live when he got hit pretty hard but i saw him in spring too Is you can see he is He's got really good fastball command. He was just missing the day some a little bit. Okay. The ump was squeezing him a little bit. He's got a kind of a combination of a curve and slider, which he kind of gets people to chase. Mm. He's got a quality change up. He's very good for a guy that's young. The thing that's kind of difficult for him to accept is, I don't know if you guys went to high school around San Diego, but he he went to like a 1A high school in Tennessee so
0: Yeah, where he went no, to school no, is like a really small back Yeah, No no one corner. ever even touched him.
1: Right. So the thought of someone like getting three hits, he just has kind of a little bit of trouble dealing with that. You know, as compared to like my high school basketball career where the guy ahead of me was much better than me and yeah. used to demonstrate that to me on a regular basis <laughs> today in practice. Duncan uh, time though. No. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. If yeah, if he could have but um yeah, so he. I think it's a. It's kind of a little bit of both. A little bit of growing pains, and I think it's a little bit. It's just. It's tough getting to pitch every five days. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like you're going against Julian High School or a right. La Jolla Country Day, where Mister J went, where you can just kind of cruise and like throw up a bunch of lollipops where they're not going to hit anything.
0: David J went to La Jolla Country Day. How about that? That's so sweet. Let's get. Let's show the jump all the way up to El Paso.
1: Yeah, I have one line. I told my wife, Lydia, she went to Mira Mesa. I said, you know, David went to to La Jolla Country Day. Did you know that? And she she goes, wow, he doesn't seem like that much of a pussy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Was David Jay a bully next on Friars in the Farm? Oh, my God.
0: Wow, we, we need to get David J to listen to this now. God well, then we have to have him come on and defend himself. So he's gonna need a chance a foreign, as you say, a chance to defend himself and sure. and he's an incredibly smart guy and we love all you
1: guys, but we just love picking
0: on the grumpy one.
1: So Logan And if you have any questions about him being an incredibly smart guy, he'll confirm those. Oh, right. so. <laughs> but we need to we need to trust
0: our source is what it really goes down to. Um, who, okay. Whoever we tried, who we touched? So uh,
2: you got Logan Allen down here. I did. Um, Logan Allen. It seems like every time he goes out, he has that bad inning. Um, yeah. This kind of seemed like where Cal Quantrill was last year. He was having a hard time closing guys out. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to watch what Logan's doing, and and do you have any ideas on why he's struggling this year in particular?
1: I just on video. As I said El Paso's the next trip. I saw Logan in spring training, and he had the same thing. Had one bad inning, then he really settled down. You know, when Logan's on, he has all four. He has all four pitches working. I think the reason he hasn't gotten a shot right now is they got to put him on the forty men, and that's a big crunch right now. Um, Logan, I I think is really the underrated guy. I mean, he can throw innings. He can go to as I like. I like that phrase. He he goes to the post. Uh, his fastball velocity's been up. I think he potentially has a better pitcher than both Lauer and Lucchese. So, yeah, I think Logan's eventually going to get a shot. I mean, Logan's, it'll be it'll come this year, probably when they clear out some room. But I think the only thing that happened was Logan's been pitching since he's been 17 in the pros. And as much as a, all the they try to control their emotions and all that, Right. I think he kind of get close and even Logan kind of made the comment was he just put too much pressure on himself. I think he's kind of calmed down. It just has, it's very tough when you're that close after right. working so hard right. for how, that long as he has. Right.
2: Well, that's a good point. So another guy that's been working hard in AAA is Luis Urias. Uh, and the yes. free, the free Weicho, uh, movement is taking over Twitter. Um, he, do you have any comments on that? Any any opinions or positions on that whole thing?
0: Yeah, because they've stopped listening a long time ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the – we'll put it this way. I'll, I'll say this. I understood why they sent him down at first was because – the start of the season was because when I was out there, they didn't think he'd gotten enough reps because he had been hurt in the winter. His hamstring kind of bothered him a little bit in spring. They wanted to get him in there, and that's fine. When they brought him up, Okay, I could kind of see I understood that, too, because he was initially going to slay the start at second base, and he was the guy. What I didn't understand, and I still don't, is why they sent him down. And so, guys, any reason why he's not coming up now after hitting about 360 with power, yeah. you know, your guess is as good as mine. I, I do not have any inside information or reporting on that. Well, I'd you know, like to see him up.
0: And what we've talked about a little bit, you talked about a little before earlier was, like it's the mechanics. They want to see that change in the mechanics that's right. going to translate to the major leagues. You can hit 350 in in AAA, and that's fine. We love the numbers, but it's what the with the with the organization sees on a daily basis. Are those changes being made? Are they consistent? And are they going to put him in a position where he can't come up and maybe, you know, maybe not hit the ground running, but at least have the time to get, you know, his feet underneath him in the major leagues, and that's going to translate.
2: I wonder if there's yeah, some Yeah, but some one the,
1: go ahead. One part about Urias is that you got to think as compared to someone like Framil Reyes and I'll be captain obvious here, Fermil's a huge man. So Fermil doesn't need to kind of really gear up to take a big swing for to go somewhere. Urias isn't is it's pretty good is in good shape. He's you yeah. know, he's a good guy, but he kind of needs that leg kick to kind of drive the ball. And okay. one thing I think it's been a little you know, I think it was a little disingenuous after his year in San Antonio when he was up in El Paso. I was up there in April, and I remember they were talking about they wanted to see just a little bit more refinement, see a little more power from a little more of this, a little more of that. And, you know, I certainly could be wrong, but I think they kind of screwed him up a little bit. They're and then going to
0: the hardware store looking for a loaf of bread is what we call
1: right. that. And then when Ben Davy went out to El Paso at the end of the year, he said that the biggest thing he noticed on Arias was they just told him just just go play, just do what you do. And that was in August where he hit like about I remember about three fifty at like a four seventy on base, and that's when I think that's when Ben fell in love with uh, Mejia too. <laughs> uh,
0: well, we know now that uh, well I'm thinking about Morehun. Morehun's back with his girl, so I think. We have the stability in the relationship there. That should probably see an uptick in performance uh, on the field. Um, Wiko, I think,
2: is... Wait, uh, did you did you hear some rumors or something well, like that? About I, I follow home?
0: all of them on Instagram. So
2: I just noticed that their Instagrams went dark for a while, and then all of a sudden his girlfriend's back up posting stuff. Just like if... Yeah,
1: like so okay. As long as she keeps away from 5.5 Dan, I think oh my all is... <laughs> yeah, he
2: is trouble for her. What so would, about Arias, yeah. what what I noticed his strikeout to walk ratio was awful when he was up with the Padres, and before that, when he was in El Paso, it was the same thing. He was striking out a lot, and not drawing walks. They set him down, and his his strikeout rate has slowly declined, and his walk at, his walk rate has come up um, until the last few games when he's apparently hit a rough patch. So, that was part of my theory, was that they were working on that. They want to see him draw more walks and quit swinging at junk pitches out of the zone.
1: But well, how he had long does he three, have to do it before he comes up? He had that three-home run day when I was in Amarillo, and Wellman was showing me the video after the game. And of course, Wellman, that's Luis's boy, and Luis calls him Palon, you know, baldy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he said, he and Wellman was going, man, he hit one to right. One to dead center, one to oh, left. Yeah. And he goes, that's a bleep, bleep, bleep hitter. You know, so yeah, he's yeah, guys, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wish I, I wish I could just sit there and drop some magical knowledge, and people would go, "Ooh, kind of knows this." And I go, "No, nah, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did.
2: Well, well, okay, so maybe they're just waiting for Ian Kinsler to play his way off the roster, and then all of a sudden he actually started playing halfway decent.
0: I think someone's going to go Nancy Kerrigan on Rob. <laughs> oh, jeez! Don't
2: don't plant any ideas now. That's uh, so bad. There's some real. I'll tell you what. The
1: government gives me eight million dollars to walk away. I'm I'm gone. So <laughs> I mean, I'll take that deal.
2: Well, we appreciate your service. Uh, for the I, government. I have one <laughs> last question. Do you okay. have any tips on airline miles and points and all that stuff? Because you must rack up more than anybody.
1: Huh? I get a little bit, Ben. But for airline miles and points, there's only one man. Only one man on Padre Twitter that's qualified to comment intelligently. Oh, you must be it's referring H.J. to Priller. H.J. Prowler. I did listen to H.J. His, H.J. First,
2: his first uh, podcast I with Shelly Higgins, and that's a really good
1: one. I need to listen to that one too. I got to get caught up. So I don't drive as much as you guys do at Back East. That's why I'm like behind on my podcast, like with Cantillo and Hunt, but which I will listen to, I promise.
2: Oh, well, you need to be like Leisure Fryer and go for hour long walks. I yeah. think that's how he gets them all in. But he needs oh, to do it, he, it
1: to stay alive. Um,
2: <laughs> he listens
1: to that. You know, the thing is, he and Canapa listen to that over Jell O before nap time <laughs> when the nurse it, So I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and really, the, the interviews is where we really shine in our, uh, you know, our, our daily day stuff is most of the stuff that you guys write. So we're not bringing any new content, but the interviews that we have on the episodes are really good.
1: Yeah, and you guys have been good. They've been good. I've heard a couple of Well, I don't them think there.
2: they're good on purpose, though. I think we just kind of stumble our way into some good questions and yeah. wind up with some good guests that have amazing answers or talk tons of crazy smack about their cohorts. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, a lot of guys don't even know who the players are, so you guys got a big step ahead of uh, ahead of your competition on that. So, well, thank you very much. much. We really appreciate that. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, John, thanks for coming on. We'll uh, we'll let you go because it's getting to be right around dinner time there at nine thirty in the D.C. hour, and you know, <laughs> Donald Trump needs his government to run. So, yes, he does. Go do the Lord's work. <laughs> or the devil's work I don't know what you do but no thanks for coming on appreciate it and uh, we'll have you on again soon
2: thank you so much okay
1: thank you very much for having me guys